Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, where we chat about great books with awesome authors and you, our listeners, ask the questions. I'm Eliza Rosenberry. We're so happy that you're listening to our podcast. And Tavi and I wanted to take the opportunity to recommend a few other bookish podcasts that you might enjoy that showcase diverse voices. One is the Stacks podcast hosted by Tracy Thomas. I just listened to one of the episodes where Tracy discusses the novel Trust Exercise by Susan Choi, which won the National Book Award last year. And her guest is the novelist Brandon Taylor, whose book Real Life was published earlier this year. So she gets tons of great guests and talks about lots of great books. So I highly recommend checking out The Stacks. That sounds awesome. Trust Exercise is on my short TBR list. I'm Tavia Kowalchuk, and I want to give a shout out to Black Chicklet Podcast, a twice monthly podcast that presents books by and for Black women. Danny and Molly talk prose, drink wine, and laugh at their own jokes. I just listened to their most recent episode, and they really get into the book. Like, we talk for 10 minutes, they'll like dive into every aspect. And so, if you really like cool. a comprehensive book conversation, this is definitely a podcast for you. Awesome. I'm going to check that one out. On today's show, author Kathy Wang examines the dynamics within a multi-generational Taiwanese-American family in her sharp, funny, and satirical debut novel, Family Trust, set in Silicon Valley. Later in the show, Kathy joins us from her home in California to answer questions. Before we discuss Family Trust, we want to let you know about a really cool sweepstakes we're running. We're giving away the audiobooks of some of our favorite books and authors. Head over to bookclubgirl.com slash podcast and enter for your chance to win audiobooks from Susan Wiggs, Leah Frankie, and more. Awesome. That sounds like a great opportunity. I haven't listened to the audiobooks of their books, so I need to do some listening. I know. The audio I listen to is podcast. <laughs> and now we present to you Family Trust Abridged. For many years, Stanley Huang the proud patriarch of a middle-class family in Silicon Valley, has claimed he's worth a small fortune. Soon, his family will be able to find out if he's telling the truth. Stanley is dying from pancreatic cancer. The announcement kickstarts jostling and feuding within the family as they all eye a potential inheritance. Stanley's adult son, Fred, thinks he deserves a higher-paying and more prestigious role in Silicon Valley. While his daughter, Kate, loves her job, but is mistreated by her demanding boss and unsatisfied in her marriage. Stanley's ex-wife, Linda, wants as little to do with him as possible. She still resents him for how badly he managed the money she made in her soul-crushing job at IBM while they were married. And his much younger second wife, Mary, accepts her role as caretaker for an elderly man, just as long as she's compensated in the end. But everyone in the family can agree the money Stanley has vaguely promised them would make their lives better. Family Trust is a witty tragic comedy about the ways one family navigates a Silicon Valley ravaged by greed and cultural assimilation in their pursuit of happiness. So, Tavia, what did you think of Family Trust? Well, I just have to get this out of the way. Silicon Valley is definitely not my scene. Reading this book, like I was like, oh my God, stay away. But I really enjoyed these characters immensely. They were so real and defied my expectations of the type of person that I would expect to see in Silicon Valley. I'll say it again, they were so real in their mm. their scope. Some of their struggles were very grand and and true problems and others were these sort of like petty concerns. And yeah. to me, it really felt like what we all grapple with. Sometimes it's small things, sometimes it's big things. 
Yeah. I really liked this book and I feel like one of the things that does really well is the portrayal of a really tense family dynamic around money and expectations of success. I feel like, you know, I want to just emphasize that the book is like really snarky and playful and I really appreciated that tone and thought it was super funny um, in the way that it sort of set up these like tensions between the family members. It was really fun to read. I also really liked the powerful women in this book. Mm. They start out with a degree of power. You know, maybe they don't, maybe they're not quite flexing it enough or they feel stymied by circumstance. But by the end of the novel, they're each really wielding their influence and they've come into their own and I really love to watch their journey, even as they were sort of being poked fun at by the author. But the ending is, you know, there are degrees of um, sincerity there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. We love that narrative of like women coming into power throughout the course of the book. It's love just, to read just that. like a standard thing we say about every book. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing a good job picking books that, that offer that. It's true. <laughs> I loved, um, you mentioned the ending of the book. No spoilers, but... Um, Kathy Wang, the author, I thought did a really great job upending the reader's expectations, or at least this reader's expectations, with a really satisfying ending that is funny and smart and subversive. And I can't say that about any about every book, but I definitely felt that way about this one. Yeah. And there was a lot on the line. Like there were a lot of ways it could have gone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm really excited to talk with Kathy. Me too. Cheers. Cheers. Clink. <laughs> Clink. <laughs> Quick reminder, we love hearing from you, especially now that we're working from home. Join our Facebook group, The Book Club Girls, where you can stay connected with other book lovers and pose your own questions to the authors that appear on our show. You can also find us at facebook.com slash groups slash The Book Club Girls. And stay tuned after the show because we'll be posting a short exclusive sample from the Family Trust audiobook. Today, we are joined by Kathy Wang, whose book, Family Trust, is out now. Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, Kathy. We are so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. To get things started, we're going to jump right in. Our first question is from Catherine on Facebook. She wants to know, have you had to deal with this kind of crazy family situation in your real life? Or if not, what inspired you to write about it? Um, I think that's a great question. Uh, you know, my dad passed similar to how Stanley, I mean, he passed of pan pancreatic cancer, which I don't think is a spoiler because it's in the first chapter of the book. Um, so he passed uh, as well, similar to Stanley. I haven't had to deal with something specifically like what the book has, but I think it's funny almost every Asian person that I talk to and many non-Asians are like, yeah, I, I know someone who had this situation or, uh, you know, this happened in my family. So I, I think it's just something where if you understand the cultural vectors that are converging in a story and you put this in it, like you can kind of extrapolate in your head what might conceivably happen. Hmm. Could you, could I ask you to um, expand on what you, what those vectors are? Yeah, of course. I like, so for example, if you're going to take, for me, uh, you have the situation where Stanley is remarried. Uh, he's made certain promises to his younger second wife about his net worth. Then you have the situation where his first wife was really uh, a partner in terms of building his fortune with him. You have two adult children who are 
mainly going about their own lives, but they're also they are on their mother's side and they they're maybe wondering at some level what their inheritance might be. And then you have the second wife herself who has been married to this man for nine years. And that amount of money that he leaves her could really change her life, right? It could it's the difference between her having to work a job which she doesn't like for very little pay for the rest of her life or having a lot of comfort for the rest of your life, her life. And also I think the book goes into what you might be willing to do ethically for a little, you know, maybe a little bit of a shift in your ethics in order to assure yourself a great life for decades. Like what is that trade-off to you internally? I just have to say that I loved Family Trust and I read it before it came out and have just been like cheering you on the whole time. So I'm so happy that you're here. (laughs) Oh, thanks so much. JJ asks, do any of the characters and experiences in Family Trust have a basis in your own life? So maybe going a little bit beyond your experience with your dad. I think the character that probably has the most, and it's embarrassing to say because I learned after publication that he's the one that people find most dislikable. Oh no, is uh, is Fred, <laughs> who's the who's the male character. He's the he he went to Harvard Business School like I did. He worked in Silicon Valley like I do. Um, it's funny because Kate, the daughter, also works in tech in Silicon Valley. So a lot of times people think that I relate to her, but it's not that I necessarily relate to Fred. Like we don't have the same motivations, but I understand him very well. And he's this character. He's this young man in Silicon Valley. He's a venture capitalist who he believes is making very little for for everything he's worth and who really just wants to have more in his life and who believes he's deserving of more, whether or not that's true. And for me, when I wrote this book, I had, I was like six or seven years out of business school, I think. And so I was beginning to see in a lot of my male friends a similar kind of frustration and a similar understanding or dawning that perhaps their career was hitting its apex. It it wasn't going to continue its ascent. And just the ways that they were dealing with that were so sometimes quite crazy to me or sometimes just really illuminating. And so I really spent a lot of time trying to think about that. It just fascinated me how much men, how difficult men found it to accept that maybe they were not going to be the rock stars they thought they were, you know, because at the same time, I had my first kid and I myself was like, you know, I think this might be just if <laughs> like, I don't know, like, I may just never get better. This was, you know, I, I this, this is just the apex of my career and the apex of my, my, my youth and everything. And it's just not going to get better. And I guess I just have to deal with it, you know, versus the men were going bonkers. <laughs> so I just, uh, it was something that really just fascinated me. I was just going to say it really came through in the book. Like that is my <laughs> abiding impression of Fred is that he just felt <laughs> so undervalued. He wanted more. And, and like, that was like his id. His id. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're listening to the Book Club Girl podcast, where our guest this week is Kathy Wang, whose book Family Trust is out now. You can read more about Kathy's book at bookclubgirl.com slash podcast. Coming up on the Book Club Girl podcast, Kathy answers more questions. And later in the show, we ask about her literary white whale. Stick around. This episode of the Book Club Girl podcast is brought to you by Motherland by Leah Frankie, who appeared on our show in the last episode. 
Motherland is about an American woman living in Mumbai whose mother-in-law comes to live with her. It's available now wherever books are sold. Welcome back to the show. This episode, we're speaking with Kathy Wang, author of Family Trust. We have another question. In addition to sort of like your your drawing on your own experience and sort of observing the people that you encounter in your own life um, and sort of pulling all of that into the book, um, I'm curious what, what else sort of inspired or, or what else you drew from in writing the book. And Linda in our Facebook group asked, what kind of research did you do um, before writing? So I'm curious if there's anything else you want to share. You know, I think I'm not a good researcher. So this book, I mean, I live in the Bay Area and it's about Asian people, you know, Chinese people, which I am. So I did very little research, like the settings and they're all places that I've been to or that I knew or, and the characters were all characters that I really thought were real in my mind. I didn't really have to do a lot of research to be like, what would a 70 year old Chinese woman be thinking conceivably? And, you know, I really respect that when I read I mean, I'm reading some nonfiction now and I go into it, I'm like, I just cannot fathom the amount of research and work that some of these authors go through. Um, for this one, I, I didn't do much research, just came, I think, instinctively. I think it comes off in the read that it's um, something you know really well. I think that it, <laughs> it reads really true. Thanks. Another question that I had was whether you think the book could have been set in a different place. To me, the culture of Silicon Valley feels so central to the story. That's a good question. I think probably not. I never really thought about Silicon Valley before as like a very distinct place until I wrote the book. And then um, I remember I was being interviewed for Costco magazine and the woman who was writing that article for Costco. She lived in the Midwest. And so she had read the book and she was like, oh, the people in this sound so weird. Like they're just, are, is it really what they're like? And for me, I just thought it was normal behavior. <laughs> I'm sure so, so much like the way like New Yorkers might have a very, you know, intimate, short conversation on the train and then never see each other again, that kind of a thing, which is very normal to like a New Yorker. You know, there are things like that in my book. I just think we're normal. And then, but I hear from other people, they're like, this is not normal to me. And uh, I guess that combination of kind of this fiscal or financial or obsession with power and success, but that underlayer of, well, I'm, I'm actually just doing this to change the world. It's not because I really want a big house or to be famous. It's actually just because I, you know, I really just want to change the world through technology, that kind of combination of that. I think that probably only exists here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a New Yorker. And so, you know, shows of extreme wealth are not you know, unheard of in New York City, but yeah. especially Fred, I feel like the way that he looked at the world with everything had like a dollar sign attached to it. It was, yeah. um, it for me, it definitely, I was like, oh yeah, like I, I forgot there were people who look at the world that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Speaking of powerful people, um, I want to mention one powerful woman, Fred's girlfriend, Erica Varga, who gives Fred his comeuppance after he treats her dismissively one too many times. Um, I would love if you could tell our readers about her a little bit. I feel like initially she seems of a type and then ultimately not so much. So Erica Varga is Fred's Hungarian girlfriend in the book. She's a very good looking jewelry salesperson at Saks Fifth Avenue. And uh, one really important thing to note about her is that she is white and 
there was something I wanted just to address off the bat in that book that for Asian men, you know, there's very few, there's much less uh, Asian male white woman pairings generally in the Valley. And I think in general in America and then white male Asian woman. And I wanted to make that, it's a little uncomfortable of a point, but I wanted it to be stated there because he's, he's proud of it, whether or not that's that's the appropriate reaction. He's proud that he has a very good looking white girlfriend because that's not common. And it kind of shows he's a little bit more alpha. You know, Erica is very fiscally motivated. She's a, she's a jewelry salesperson. She wants to live a glamorous life. Uh, She's that kind of salesperson where if you go into a expensive store, they might look you up and down and you know, you're like, well, you think you're better than me. (laughs) So that's, that's Erica. And uh, she's along for the ride in that she lives in Fred's dreams. Like Fred, Fred thinks he's going to become a major venture capitalist. She's, she's there all the way for that dream. And uh, there comes a point where she does something in their relationship, which I'm not saying that I'm capable of that, but you know, I hope that anyone who would who's been in a relationship in college has recognized that moment where you kind of know you're probably doing something bad, but you decide just to freak out anyways on the guy, you know, like (laughs) I, I, I feel like she just does that and she probably knows a little bit. She shouldn't be doing it, but she still goes forward with it for whatever reason. And then, uh, he, he responds in kind. And then she, she decides essentially to try to destroy his career. I guess I wanted to do that partially because there was a string at the time of letters and emails that were being written within the Valley like that. And a lot of the times I would get them forwarded to me in a personal email and they would get forwarded onto the press like Washington Post or New York Times. And a lot of times I know that those papers decline not to publish them yeah, <laughs> because they're right there. Mm-hmm. There's no reason, but they were going around and they were trying to destroy careers, wow. rightfully so sometimes. So it was just something that I wanted to include in the book. Yeah, it was, I I loved the conversations that he had with his, I don't want to say friends, but his associates afterwards, you know, over email or text or whatever after the, after it went around and he was just freaking out. (laughs) Yeah. Kathy, I wanted to ask about Stanley and Fred, who both seem very similar, like, like very full of themselves. Sometimes it seems like without good reason. And without spoiling exactly what happens at the end of the book, I'm curious how you think the sort of like personality trait of maybe overconfidence um, or like having very high, a, high, a very high opinion of, of themselves, um, how does that sort of impact their journeys as characters through the book? That's a really interesting question. I mean, the, the title that the book went out with, you know, when it was on submission from the agent was A Man of Means. So that was to me the central, actually the central thing of the book is what what happens when you believe you're going to be a you're going to be a man of means and it turns out at the end of the life you're not. What kind of actions do you take? And so I think that's something that really afflicts both of them. Uh, you know, Stanley is, has received a terminal diagnosis and he's understanding maybe that his life is not what he thought it would be. And how does he going to respond to that? Is he going to admit it and just take the disappointment of everyone, including his you know, much younger second wife? Or is he going to construct a fantasy in his head? And Fred is at the stage where he believes that it's now or never, like you have to make it or you're going to accept mediocrity for the rest of your life. And what does that mean for him? What does that mean he's willing to do? 
And I mean, it does fascinate me. I mean, it still fascinates me. I think you can look at the news and even politics or anything, and you you could see a bunch of men and uh, who are grappling with this very very problem <laughs> and how they're how they're reacting to it. So, so it's something I just I still think about now. Every episode, we ask our guests, the author, what is your literary white whale? Meaning like, what is the book that you've always meant to read and just have never gotten around to or you started and haven't finished? I don't know if it's a little embarrassing. It's middle March. I just cannot get through it. And the the really embarrassing thing is I thought, so I have the physical copy and I just can't get through the first few chapters. And then so I was like, maybe it's the format because it's heavy reading mm-hmm. in my bed at night. So I got the I, the Kindle version and then I started to read it too. And I realized somehow I skipped to the middle of it in my Kindle and I, I just kept reading. I didn't realize there was any difference. Like I had read a <laughs> chapter from the middle and I didn't realize that, you know, it was just, then I, I realized like, I don't know if I can get through it. I, I'm not even understanding when I'm, when I'm skipping from <laughs> chapter one to chapter like 50 or whatever. And so it's, it's very frustrating to me because I always like to think of myself as someone who has read Middlemarch and who has enjoyed it. It's just, it's really frustrating for me. So actually that's <laughs> something that recently happened to me in COVID that um, I tried Middlemarch again. Well, I've never read Middlemarch. So it's on my, it's on my list of my, my mountain of books to read before I die. I am. Um, I constantly mention that I read Anna Karenina, partially for that, because I did read it through and I did like it. You know, I, I mean, it's very inspiring to me. So I'm constantly like Anna Karenina, like, <laughs> but, but I, I think it's an it's a overcompensation. <laughs> Anna Karenina is actually my my personal white whale. I just like it's haven't. I don't, I, you know, I have no excuse. I've been sitting here talking about how it's my white whale for like six months and I haven't made any progress on it, but one day I will read it. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today. It was such a pleasure. We were so excited to talk with you about Family Trust. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Kathy. That was Kathy Wang, whose book Family Trust is out now. To find out more about Kathy's book and how to buy it, head to bookclubgirl.com slash podcast, where you can also find links to everything mentioned in this episode. Like what you heard? Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, give us a rating and leave a review. Another way to help spread the word about the Book Club Girl podcast, tell a friend. It really helps others to find us. You'll hear from us again in two weeks, where we'll be speaking with Beverly Jenkins about On the Corner of Hope and Maine. But you can always stay in touch with us between episodes. We're both on Instagram. You can find us at Tavia Reads and at Eliza is Reading. And of course, at Book Club Girl. You can join in our conversations too. Later this month, we are interviewing RF Quang about her book, The Poppy War. If you have questions for RF, post them in the comments on our Book Club Girls Facebook group or call us at 212-207-7336. You can also send us an email, thegirls at bookclubgirl.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if your question gets asked on the show, we'll send you a free book. Yay, free books. Before we go, a big thank you, as always, to Jordan Gosprey, who produced today's episode, and to Kathy Wang for gamely setting up her own recording studio in her home. Thank you, Kathy. Until next time, I'm Tavia. And I'm Eliza. Happy reading. In Hungary, you have to understand that most of the Chinese, they are not so rich. 
and there are barely any Indians. He was just confused, Fred. He didn't know. Uh huh. And just how confused is Georgi over you dating someone Chinese? He understands, Erica hesitated. He understands that in America, things are different. In America? What if you were back in Budapest? In Hungary, of course, it would never happen. That's an insane statement to make. He jammed angrily at the nearest button on the dashboard, which unfortunately turned the air conditioning on full blast. Don't you understand how racist that makes you sound? Erica remained calm. To her, racist wasn't such a bad word, unless used in conjunction with uneducated, which she found far more insulting. It is the truth, she said. How can someone be so angry over the truth? Because it's ignorant, and based on the worst stereotypes I've had to battle against my entire life, that Asian men are less desirable than every other race because we're passive and small and not worthy of female attention. But I don't have those thoughts, she protested. It's just that I never knew any Chinese before I moved here. And I'm sorry, but it is true that in Budapest they do crime, though they mostly keep it between themselves, she added charitably. In Hungary, if you bring a gift to someone's house, the first thing they will check for when they are alone is whether it was made in China, because then they know whether you paid a lot or a little. Oh, really? So everything made in China is cheap? So your father wouldn't like it if I bought him an iPhone? That had been the ongoing hint for Christmas the year before, with Erica laying the groundwork in September and campaigning through mid-December, Fred had shipped Georgi and Anna the joint present of an iPad mini and a $100 iTunes gift card instead. Collectively, the two had cost less than one smartphone, and that wasn't even including the continuing overhead of a data plan. Well, no, Erica said. Everyone knows the iPhone is very top. How can you say all that then, about made in China being cheap, when your whole family worships Apple products? which are made in China. Don't you see how stupid, how uneducated it makes you seem? Let's not say such things. Erica placed a soft hand on his shoulder, ignoring the salvo unusual for her. Besides, the only thing that matters is you and me, and you are mine, my successful venture capitalist, for whom I am so grateful.